Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Listeners should refer to the disclaimer in the episode notes and at the end of this podcast. A lot of these assets have been around for many years and they are able to generate cash flows on a regular basis, which doesn't really change based on economic circumstances to any great extent. People still need electricity, people still need water, people are still going to need some form of gas. So from that perspective, infrastructure as a whole has what we would call inelastic demand. So demand doesn't change too much as economic conditions change. G'day and welcome back to Equity ASA, brought to you by Australian Shareholders Association. I'm Phil Muscatillo. Today I'm joined by Jamie Hanna, Deputy Head of Investments and Capital Markets at Van Eck Australia. G'day, Jamie. Morning. How are you going, Phil? Really good. Thank you. Now, Jamie's a portfolio manager and trader currently managing 28 exchange-traded funds with more than $9 billion under management. And today we're going to be talking about infrastructure. But before we get into that, Jamie, you've got some thoughts on the golden rules about buying and selling ETFs. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Phil. One of the key things that I'm noting as I interact with a lot of investors in our ETFs is that they're not getting the best price when they're trading their ETF either through their broker or their online broker. And I really just want to highlight a few things which are critical if you're buying an ETF. The first one that people might not be aware of is that the ASX is open from 10 o'clock in the morning until 4. But that's not 100% correct. The ASX opens over about a 10-minute period in alphabetical order. So at 10 o'clock, ANZ is open, but Westpac won't open for another 10 minutes. So if you're looking to buy an ETF that holds Australian equities in it, for example, it can't price the ETF at 10 o'clock when it opens because it can only price ANZ and not Westpac. So what happens is the price on screen is not optimal for investment. It's too wide because they still don't know what the price of Westpac is. So you should never trade any ETF on the ASX until 10.15 in the morning. And it's a hard and fast rule. There should be no reason for you to execute when the market is not fully open because I honestly don't think you'll get a better price than waiting until 10.15. And the alternate to that is that you know, you can trade from 10.15 to 4 o'clock just fine on ETFs. There's never an issue. But that's not the actual closing price for the day. There's actually an auction which happens at 4.10 p.m. All shares go through it. So when you look at the closing price for a share at the end of the day, it's not the price at 4 p.m. It's a price as at the auction, the one-off snapper price is at 4.10 p.m. An ETF goes through that auction as well. And I highly advise that you should never trade an ETF in that one-off auction because it's an instantaneous snap of prices. And so you can't price the ETF on an instantaneous snap. So the prices are set a little bit wider. So once again, you won't get an optimal price 
when you're trading at that particular point in time. So like between 4 and 4.10, is that what you're saying? So you can't trade between 4 and 4.10. The market stops trading. But it goes through. People load orders into the order book Mm -hmm. leading up to this 4.10 auction, which is a one-off snap of everything. And it's instantaneous. There's no way to see where the price will be. Hence, trading an ETF in that particular time slot is a bad idea because you will not get the best price because things are unable to be priced in an instant. That's a definite. So trading ETFs is between 10.15 and 4 p.m. only. And I highly advise anyone to stick to those rules. The other thing to bear in mind is that when trading an ETF, you can fill any size you want on screen. So sometimes there's only a small portion on screen, but you should never buy through that price on screen. The ETF is linked to the underlying assets. And we know what those underlying asset prices are. And so we're able to price these accurately. So if there's a price to buy 1,000 shares at $1 and there's another 1,000 shares at $1.01 and you're after 2,000 shares, I'm telling you, unlike a normal equity, you shouldn't buy through the $1 price up to the 101. You shouldn't pay that extra cent because $1 is the price you should be paying. You should put a limit order on. Don't go market like you would on a normal share. Put on a limit price of $1 and you'll fill the thousand, and then what will then happen is new inventory will be reloaded on screen, and you'll fill the other thousand at a dollar. So there isn't a scenario where you should be buying through the best price on screen for an ETF. Otherwise, you're not getting the best execution. And this is because there's a market maker Correct. running that? Yep. Yes. So there's a market maker on the back end who provides the quotes on screen. Now, for Australian equity ETFs, there's an INAV. So you can see the fair value of the underlying ETF, and you'll see that the market maker is quoting right on that price. And we personally, you know, at the ETF issuer, we monitor all the prices all day live and are making sure that the market maker is quoting exactly where they should be quoting because we can value the portfolio as well and we can see where they're quoting. And if there's anything out of line, we immediately go out to them and say, guys, this is not exactly where you should be quoting, the price is here. So we're able to facilitate that. And hence, if you ever want to do a bigger order, we can facilitate that as well. So there isn't really any excuse in terms of paying through a worse price than what you're prepared to pay, than what is the best price on screen, because that is the value that we agree. So let's move on to infrastructure. What's your definition of infrastructure in that particular sector? So infrastructure is anything that allows us to live our lives comfortably, and it's really the backbone of our society. So it creates everything that allows us to live in our current method of living in a way which is foreseeable for the future. And it includes things more specifically like the electricity generation companies, the gas, the water, and then includes things like the satellites that do it, the pipelines that pipe the gas and the oil around the world, and then things like airports, transport, railways. So it's the things that we require to be able to live our lives. So when you're looking at infrastructure, obviously there's going to be companies that operate the infrastructure. But what about the companies that provide services? It includes both. So the services are one thing. Some companies own the services, others own the actual underlying infrastructure, which is the actual asset, which is the pipeline, which is the airport, which is the satellite, for example. And those are the primary focus of the underlying infrastructure fund. So it focuses on those power companies. It focuses on the water companies. It focuses on the toll roads, for example. So that is really the backbone, but there is an element of the services provided as well. So when you're looking at this sector, what are the characteristics that 
define this sector? So some of the key characteristics, which are really key to infrastructure, is it has a long-term predictable cash flow. And what I mean by that is, is a lot of these assets have been around for many years and say an electricity company, they are able to generate cash flows on a regular basis, which doesn't really change based on economic circumstances to any great extent. People still need electricity, people still need water, people are still going to need some form of gas. So from that perspective, infrastructure as a whole has what we would call inelastic demand. So demand doesn't change too much as economic conditions change. The other thing is it also doesn't have a lot of competition. So the barriers to entry for these type of assets are huge. You need large capital outlays to kind of kickstart these processes and get them built from the start. So once they're built, it's unlikely that you're going to have someone set up right next door with a bigger or better power station, for example. So they have long time to run and they have very little competition. One of the other things though, I think, is that a lot of their revenue is linked to inflation. So what that means is as inflation comes about, and obviously it's one of the hot topics at the moment, as inflation comes about, these assets and these infrastructure are able to adjust pricing so that they can take into account inflation so that if you're generating electricity, a lot of them have mechanisms to pass on the cost of inflation into what they're billing you. The same goes with toll roads. As much as I hate toll roads, Mm. um, they can adjust their prices so that as you drive on that road, rather than paying $1, you're paying $1.06, for example, which is- You see that that as you go through every six months, you get that um, that message saying it's going up. And there's actually been, from an interesting point of that, there's actually been a big move that as toll roads have gone digital, as opposed to just being an old sign or used to go and pay at the box- their prices have gone up faster because companies are able to more easily roll out the price increase as opposed to the past where they had to go and change all the signs and do all the uh, the notifications and people didn't want to pay $2, they have to pay $2.10 in cash that wouldn't be possible. So as things have turned digital, there's been a lot more price increases. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So where are the companies that comprise this ETF domiciled? It's an international ETF, isn't it? It is. It is an international ETF. So it's global, which means it does include some Australia. But like any global investment usually about half is from the USA. And it's the same here. About 50% of the fund is invested in US-listed infrastructure assets. Of course, that doesn't mean that 
they actually operate in the US. They will obviously have global operations that operate outside of the US, but 50% is listed in the US. And then we obviously have the normal split between Canada, Australia, European countries like the UK and Italy and the like. So from that perspective, it's global developed markets with the normal split, I would say, for any international fund. And being international, is it hedged for currency? It is currency hedged. So that means that we hedge out the movement in the Australian dollar against all these underlying currencies like the US. USD and GBP, Euro, for example. Well, not just one currency, it's all of these currencies. All of them, exactly. (laughs) So the reason why we do that on infrastructure is because it's sector and we're investing in a single sector And what we're actually wanting is the return on those assets in that sector. We don't want the underlying investment to be influenced by the moving price of the underlying Aussie dollar against these various currencies because it will distort the actual movement of the infrastructure industry. Whereas if you're buying a, let's say, a broad-based ETF, which invests across multiple countries, usually you want the FX exposure because you want the foreign exchange to be part of the movement. In this particular case, when you're only investing in one sector, you want exposure to that sector and not the currency. And you'd assume that um, often investors want to invest in this sector because of the income that is being generated and the steady flow of that income. That's one of the key factors with infrastructure, which I didn't really highlight, is the fact that they do have a very solid income stream in terms of dividends, distributions paid to shareholders in these infrastructure companies. And they're very consistent over a long period of time. And so from that perspective, in terms of an international investment, infrastructure has a higher dividend yield than other international investments would. I think Australians get used to quite a high dividend yield in Australia and the franking credits associated with that. Yeah, we're addicted to it. Exactly, exactly. And who doesn't want franking credits, obviously? Mm -hmm. But when you look at international shares, they, by and large, they don't pay out as high a dividend as Australians are generally used to. And that said, infrastructure assets are a little bit different to that, where they go out of their way to pay more regular dividends to investors, and hence the dividend yield is higher on infrastructure than a normal broad-based international investment. Can we focus on a couple of the companies in the the fund? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's 135 split split across many countries. Let's just do one or two. Yeah, yeah, let's just pick a couple. So it's actually seen some good growth recently. And let's just take a, a couple, for example. There's a company called Atlantia, which is an Italian company. And it manages toll roads in Europe, America, and Asia. So it has a bit of a global portfolio. And actually, it's just had a takeover offer. So, you know, the price has rallied over 20, 25% from the back of this takeover offer. And I think it will be successful. And so generally, Atlantia is just a global toll roads operator, you know, one of the most hated people in the world. (laughs) But look, from the fact is, from an investment point of view, it's been an attractive investment for someone to look to take it over. And those type of investments, obviously good from an infrastructure investment point of view, because it's giving you a good return. So Atlanti is one which will most likely come out of the portfolio soon as it's acquired by um, the takeover company. Another company, for example, Sempra, Sempra Energy, and it basically invests and develops a lot of the transmission and infrastructure in in America. So it does a lot of the, the transmission wires and that type of stuff. And from our point of view, it also has LNG shipments. So it's able to transport LNG as well as electricity. So it's a multi-utility type of company. Now, the Ukrainian war, for example, has boosted that because Sempra is now of the opinion that they can sell gas to Europe as they cut off the supply of the pipeline of the gas coming out of, out of Russia. 
So this has been a bit of a benefit for Sempra. And I think, you know, from our point of view, it'll just capitalize on this in the short term and obviously be a benefit to investors. Just on that uh, particular case, what about the um, infrastructure spending that the US government has committed to recently? Oh, that that is absolutely a huge number. We're talking trillions is the infrastructure package. And it needs to be spent. And it's certainly been a COVID move. Certainly Australia has you know, announced a lot more infrastructure build. Europe has had the next generation EU policy to pump money into infrastructure. And a recent Deloitte report said that globally, the world has underinvested in infrastructure by $69.5 trillion. And it needs to spend that over the next 10 to 20 years to kind of fix our ailing infrastructure. And if you look at the West, we have had significant underinvestment in infrastructure over the last 30 years. We really haven't renewed a lot of things which are falling apart. And the US is a standout in this more than Australia. And so investing in infrastructure now benefits the existing infrastructure companies because they're well-placed to win new contracts, to take on new infrastructure assets, and to really you know, drive the investment allocation from the US government, for example, into their specialist area. So this type of infrastructure investment from the Biden administration is necessary. It's necessary to maintain our way of life. And it's also a benefit to you know, investing in infrastructure at this particular point in time. Is it becoming harder for retail investors to get into this sector? Because large pension funds love infrastructure. And some of these companies now are being taken private and being brought up into the private space. Is that a a force that you're seeing? It is a force that we're seeing, absolutely. And they're really jumping on a lot of the cheaper assets. So in this infrastructure fund and investment, there's airports. Now, COVID decimated airports because airports are paid on the back of passenger numbers as part of one of their key revenue earners. And with the numbers falling off and no planes coming in, their revenues tanked. So large pension funds are looking to take over Sydney Airport, which is, in reality, one of the backbones of Australia's ownership and Australia's entry gateway into the country. So yes, infrastructure assets are in demand. They're long-term quality assets, which I said have all those benefits that no one can like compete with them. So by getting an infrastructure asset cheap, like an airport, where I'm confident that airline traffic will return to higher levels, that means that these infrastructure airport will come back. And over 10 or 20 years time, whoever holds them is going to do well from them. So yes, there is a propensity for these companies to be targets at the moment. Some of them are literally too big for people to take over though. And hence, you know, they're really just seizing opportunities that are available. I believe the returns haven't been too bad so far this year. And we're recording today on the 3rd of May, 2022, just to timestamp things. Yeah, look, (laughs) they have. If we look at what's been happening around the markets globally, I mean, year to date, like the S&P 500 has fallen about 10, 11% roughly. And if we just look at the MSCI world, which is a broader base kind of index, which covers globally, it's mm. fallen around 11.5% year to date as well. And most asset classes haven't done particularly well. The Russian crisis has obviously caused that in Ukraine. But um, infrastructure and our infrastructure fund hasn't set the world on fire, but it's up 2% year to date. It's positive. Okay. Yeah. It's absolutely not bad considering where the rest of the market is going. And certainly in a rising inflation environment, certainly with all the money being put into infrastructure and certainly where the world currently is being underinvested in infrastructure, I think infrastructure is currently a good investment with the rising rates and everything going on in the world. So is that outperformance driven by any particular part of the sector? 
Yes, it is. It's driven by, obviously, some of the ones that are more linked to energy, and that is pipelines, for example. They've done particularly well. So a lot of the pipeline contracts that pump oil and gas have factored into their contracts terms related to the underlying price of oil and gas. So they've been able to increase their revenue purely on the back of what's been happening in the world with the price of energy. So that's obviously been a benefit. At the same time, offsetting, as I've said earlier, is airports. You know, it's been a very big drag on performance. But if you look to the future and airports coming back, then it's going to help accelerate performance coming up in the coming years as the airports return to better numbers. So there are good and bad elements to, you know, the performance of the portfolio. But overall, it's moving in the right direction compared to the broader market. And are there any Australian companies in the portfolio? There is. Transurban, as we uh, love to hate in Australia, they are one of the largest holdings in the ETF. And look, I mean, they're able to adjust their prices as we see as you drive through any of the toll roads around some of the major capital cities. So they haven't been doing particularly poorly. And as a result, you know, it's keeping the performance return quite steady. So what's the code for this ETF and how can listeners find out a bit more? So uh, the code is IFRA, I-F-R-A. And um, it's listed on the ASX. You can buy it through your broker or online. And you can find more details at vanek.com.au. There's certainly a lot of resources there. There's white papers and there's, you know, a lot more information in terms of individual companies. And we'll put some links into the show notes and the episode notes so listeners can find them easily. Great. Okay, Jamie, thank you very much for joining me today. Phil, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the time. Important, please remember these podcasts are produced to provide information and education and they're not designed to provide financial advice, nor are they a recommendation to buy shares in the companies featured or discussed. The Australian Shareholders Association does not endorse or favour any specific commercial product or company. Please obtain independent professional advice before investing. We value your feedback and questions. Please contact us at share at asa.asn.au if you have any suggestions for guests or specific questions you'd like answered. 